the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Five five one one. The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. two weeks, we have shared with you many wonderful stories of God's work in revival. Now, we don't want you to simply hear the stories. We want you to have a firm foundation upon which to stand. And I must tell you, we have established an upper room And we are standing, we are crying out to God in that upper room, day and night, pleading that Jesus would come in the fullness of his power for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We can do nothing without the Holy Spirit. We have no power. Our words are empty if they are not quickened by the Holy Spirit. Do you want revival? Then listen today as we go through passage after passage of Scripture that lays a very clear foundation for what we've been teaching. Our authority rests not in our experience, but in the honest, faithful word of the living God. You're listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley, and with me in studio is Alexandra, 
my wife. Welcome, Alexandra. Welcome. Thank you for joining us today. So we want now to take time to just go through a whole number of scriptures. Would you grab a piece of paper so you can jot down these passages? And if you're able, grab a Bible and follow carefully. And we're going to lay out the biblical basis for the fullness of the Holy Spirit, the necessity of the Holy Spirit, and the coming of the Holy Spirit. So let's begin. Thank you. Again, you're listening to Pilgrim's Progress. We're from the National Prayer Chapel. If you have missed our last two weeks of messages, please go to our webpage and catch up on them. You can go to nationalprayerchapel.com. That's nationalprayerchapel.com. And you'll see, I just put it up as the featured series. It's called Can Revivals Be Prayed Down? So what I'd like to do now is just to walk through uh, several passages in the Gospels and then the book of Acts. And if we have time, in a couple of the epistles. And just show the biblical basis for what we're teaching about how there we receive the Holy Spirit at conversion. But then we must go on to receive the full Pentecost baptism of the Holy Spirit. So I'll begin in Matthew chapter 28. This is where Jesus gives the Great Commission. So this is Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. So what begins, the Great Commission begins with the fact that Jesus has been given all power, and he desires to give that power to us to fulfill this commission. He says, Go ye therefore... Therefore, because of this power, go and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. So here we see, again, this ends with the promise that Jesus is always with us. And what we're to do is to teach people from every... It says in Revelation, every tribe, tongue, kindred, people group were to teach them to observe, in, in other words, to actually do what Jesus commanded us to do. So we see right off the bat, the Great Commission involves teaching people to obey Jesus, and that puts out of the water this easy believism type gospel. But that's not the main focus. So that's the Great Commission. We hear a lot of speaking in the church today about the Great Commission. I was just at a Voice of the Martyrs conference two weeks ago in McLean, and they really emphasized that from the stories of the martyrs, we see that it is every Christian's duty to evangelize, that every Christian is called for the Great Commission. I know at McLean Bible, one of the biggest churches in Northern Virginia, they're really emphasizing this. But the other half of that is Jesus does not only give us the Great Commission, but he also gives us the power to do that. So let's look at Mark. It's a little bit more clear. This is Mark 16, verses 15 through 20. Jesus speaks. He said unto them, Go ye into all the world, and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. And these signs shall follow them that believe. 
In my name shall they cast out devils, they shall speak with new tongues, they shall take up serpents, and if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. So then after the Lord had spoken unto them, he was received up into heaven and sat on the right hand of God. And they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. Amen. Amen. So we see here again the commission to go into the whole world and preach the gospel to every single person. And the promise of the signs that follow is given to all who believe. Now this is important because it's not just given to some who believe. It's not just given to apostles. But the promise is to all who believe. So in other words, just as the Great Commission is the responsibility of every Christian, the power from God with signs and wonders following is promised to every Christian. And these are the signs again. Casting out devils, speaking in new tongues, taking up serpents, not dying if you drink something poisonous, and laying hands on the sick and they shall recover. So some will teach that this was only for the apostolic age, but again, we don't see that in the scripture. It says just those who believe. And secondly, we know that this isn't something that they received at conversion because they were exhorted to wait for this power in the book of Acts, which we're going to come to in a moment. So next we'll look at Luke chapter 11. Verses 1 through 13. I won't read all of them, but I do want to give you the context. So this is Luke 11. So the first several verses begin, the disciples ask Jesus how to pray. And he gives them the Lord's Prayer. And then he says, immediately after he gives the Lord's Prayer, this is beginning in verse 5. He says, which of you shall have a friend and shall go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine in his journey has come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. And he from within shall answer and say, Trouble me not, the door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give thee. I say unto you, they, though he will not rise and give him because he is his friend, yet because of his importunity or shameless persistence, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. And I say unto you, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For every one that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth. And to him that knocketh it shall be opened. If a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he for a fish give him a serpent? Or if he ask an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask? So we see here the promise culminates in this last verse, verse 13, where we see that God is more willing to give us the Holy Spirit than a parent is to feed their children. And we see the context of this is, first, we're to continue asking shamelessly. So Jesus gives us the picture of the friend at midnight who goes to his friend, needs needs bread to serve, and he's not going to be denied. That's like the song we opened with today. He's going to keep asking until his friend gets out of bed. And then Jesus enforces this when he says, ask, seek, and knock. And we have this promise. He says, everyone that asketh receiveth. 
So it's not just some who ask receive, but every single person who asks for the blessing of the Holy Spirit will receive. But we have to be persistent in that. Sometimes it takes a few days, sometimes it takes a few weeks, it may take months or years, but the God's promise is true, and if we keep asking, it's certain that he will give us the Holy Spirit. And as Pastor Ray said, that's what we have been doing in, a, in the past few weeks, as we've said, we recognize that we cannot fulfill the Great Commission without the power from God. So let's look a little bit more about what exactly is promised. So we've already established that the Great Commission is for every Christian and that the power to fulfill it is promised to every Christian. So let's look more at the nature of what this looks like. In John chapter 14, Jesus says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do because I go unto my Father. So, in other words, if Jesus had not returned to heaven, we would not have been able to receive the Holy Ghost. And one of the promises is that we will not only do the works that Jesus did. Now, think about the works Jesus did. He was growing out the legs and arms of maimed people. He was healing the deaf and the blind. He was casting demons out of children that were causing them to have epileptic fits. He was preaching to enormous crowds who were following him. Jesus said that you will do these works and even greater ones. And this is because of the promise of the Holy Spirit. In the same chapter, this is John 14, verses 16 and 17, Jesus says, I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But you know him, for he dwelleth with you, and shall be in you. So we see here, we've spoken a little bit about this over the past few days. The, whole, the disciples had received a measure of the Holy Spirit at that point. He was dwelling with them. We can look at other passages in the Gospels where Jesus breathes on them, or he commissioned the seventy to go out and perform miracles in the villages in pairs. So we see the disciples had received some measure of the Holy Spirit up until this point. But the promise is that the Holy Spirit will actually come and live inside of them permanently. And Jesus clarifies this in verse 21. He says, He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. So again, we see that obedience to the commands of God, which is motivated by our love for God and not by a selfish motive, is a, pre a prerequisite to receiving this promise. Lastly, in this chapter, this is John fourteen twenty six. The Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things, and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. So, so far we've seen that the promise of the Holy Spirit includes doing the works that Jesus did, and even greater works. It includes the Holy Spirit will teach us, and he will guide us into everything that we need to know for the work of ministry. Now, when we go over a couple chapters to John 16, verses 7 through 11, 
Jesus says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is expedient for you that I go away, or it's better for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he is come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment, of sin because they believe not on me, of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more, of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. So this is key. This is a main work of the Holy Spirit that describes what we see in a lot of revivals where we see incredible conviction of sin coming upon sinners. We see a conviction that we must live a righteous life coming upon both sinners and on those who've been professing Christians for a long time, but who haven't believed either in the need or in the ability to live a sinless life. And what's important about this is that this is in the context of the Holy Ghost coming and living in us. So the way that revival, the way that the kingdom of God comes on the earth is when the Holy Ghost can find willing men and women who will yield themselves up to have the Holy Spirit come and actually live in them and take possession of them so that these great works of God can happen. In other words, the Holy Spirit is not sent outside of human vessels. He doesn't just come and float around. He actually has to come inside of a person, and that requires our voluntary giving of ourselves completely to Jesus, obedience, and seeking the gift until we receive it. So let's look at the fulfillment of this in the book of Acts. So we'll start in Acts chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. So the disciples are assembled together, and Jesus commands them, not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. So here again we see very clearly the two baptisms. The disciples had been baptized by John with water years before this happened, but they needed this second baptism that only Jesus can give, the baptism of the Holy Ghost, so that they could have the power to fulfill the Great Commission. We see this in verse 8. This is Acts 1 verse 8. But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you, and you shall be my witness, you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And that's exactly what ended up happening. So the disciples, they said, yes, let's go wait in the upper room for this promise of the Father. In verse 13, we read, um, that, well, in verse 12, they returned to Jerusalem. And when they, were, when they came to Jerusalem, they went into an upper room where Peter, James, John, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, Simon, and Judas were staying. So all the disciples gathered together. There's about 120 of them. It says these all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. And we can infer from this, if the men and the women were present, there were likely children present who were praying for this gift of the Holy Spirit. So what happens? Well, we come over to 
Acts chapter 2, verse 1, they've now been in the upper room for 10 days praying for the Holy Spirit to come. When the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And then we see that there were proselytes, which were Gentile people who had been converted to Judaism, and they were from all over the world. They were in Jerusalem for the Passover. And so as these disciples are filled with the Holy Spirit and start speaking in all these other languages, everyone from all these different countries can hear what they're saying in their own language. And they say, how is this possible? And then that's when Peter stands up and he gives his first sermon since he's been baptized in the Holy Spirit. And he says that this is the, conf this is the fulfillment of what was spoken by the prophet Joel. This is Acts chapter 2, verse 17. It shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaidens I will pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. So we see here that every group of people is included in this promise in Joel. We have men and women, young and old, and if you look at young men and old men, that's not exclusively males. That just means young people and old people. So we have children, old people, middle-aged people, men, women, servants, men and women servants. God has promised to pour out his spirit and they will prophesy. In other words, they'll be able to speak the word of God. And God's power will move through them to bring his kingdom on the earth. We then move into verse 37. So the people hear Peter's sermon, and they were pricked in their hearts. And they said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, what should we do? Then Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. So this is incredible because we see that these people, they're sinners, they're being told that they can repent, be converted, and be baptized in the Holy Spirit all like pretty much in the same day. And he says this promise is to as many as the Lord our God shall call. So what we'll see as we continue to read through the book of Acts, we see in this first generation of the church that it was the normal experience of every Christian to be baptized with the Holy Spirit with power for ministry. Now I want to look at this next section. This is Acts chapter 4. Now this is important because... We want to emphasize that this, this indwelling of the Holy Spirit that we're talking about, this Pentecost power, isn't just like a one-shot event, and now you're off on your own. We see in Acts chapter 4, after there was the beginning of persecution, what does the church do? Well, the church gathers together, 
they lay out the situation before God and they bring their request. And this is their request. This is Acts chapter 4 verse 29. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word by stretching forth thine hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of thy holy child Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. So we see here, the disciples, they recognized they needed even a greater infilling of the Holy Spirit. And so this is really awesome, because it means that we can always go to God and ask for greater and greater infillings of his spirit. And this was actually done by the Salvation Army. If you look at William and Catherine Booth, when they started the Salvation Army, they would have weekly meetings specifically for the purpose of crying out for greater fillings of the Holy Spirit. Because these, these men and women, I mean, they were out there, they would go into bars They'd be out in the rain, in alleys, they were often arrested, and they recognized that they needed the power of God living in them constantly in order to sustain the type of work they were doing. And not only that, but to see the incredible results that they were seeing. We see that also in verse 33, this is Acts 4:33, and with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. So we see signs and wonders, boldness, great power, and great grace all accompany this baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now the last, this is just very short. I just wanted to look quickly at 1 Thessalonians 1.5 and 1 Peter 1.12. So why is it so important that we have this power? Can't we just share the gospel without the power of God? Well, this is what 1 Thessalonians 1.5 says. For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power, and in the Holy Ghost, and in much assurance, as you know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost. So, this is important because... Without the power of God from the Holy Spirit, these Christians would probably not have become Christians. And secondly, their faith would not have been established to go through all of the persecutions they went through. So it needs to be a work that God does in us yes. to truly root us down so we won't fall away in a time of persecution or in a time of great testing. We see this again in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 12. Peter writes, Unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves, but unto us they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven. So again, this New Testament church was founded by men and women who preached the gospel with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven. And as we said earlier, that was the normal experience for them, the converts, to receive that baptism. And that's why we saw such explosive growth and 
just incredible cultural change around the world just in that first generation of the church. As I listen to this scripture after scripture, I'm deeply concerned for men and women who desire to be Christian, but they cannot overcome their sin. A man who was an alcoholic who used to listen to this broadcast would call me weeping because he could not overcome his alcoholism. Or a man filled with lust who cannot gain the victory over his lust. Or a man who is filled with a spirit of coveting he can't overcome his coveting, his bitter anger, and so he finally turns against the living God of heaven. Well, there's a very clear understanding we need to have. The biblical evidence is clear, and I'm going to ask Alexandra to post all of these passages of Scripture on the webpage. So you can go back and review them at nationalprayerchapel.com. But it's clear to me that men and women cannot overcome their sin, even though they try hard, they weep before God, they plead, they cry aloud. Why can't they overcome by the power of the blood and the power of the Spirit? And the answer is very simple. Because a person sees it would be an advantage to have the victory over a particular sin, it would increase the comfortableness of their life, it would take away the heavy load of guilt, their family would appreciate an alcohol-free husband. But at the very heart of the issue is the desire to continue being in charge of my own life. You see, when the Holy Spirit comes, he does not simply ask you to give up your sin. He asks you to give up your life. So all of the wonderful parts of your life, all of those things you get great enjoyment out of that may not be in any way sinful, but are simply absorbing your time and your energy so that you are incapable of giving yourself fully to the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit comes, he says, no, I want all of you. Yes, and we see this in the stories of uh, missionaries like Reese Howells. He and his wife were asked by the Lord to give up their first child and have another family raise their child because they were being called to Africa as missionaries. You see this with Charles Finney and his wife. They were both traveling as missionaries and they left their children with others to raise them. So... On the other hand, we have people like Hudson Taylor who took their children with them. But I bring this up because I often hear children used as an excuse. And I mean, for much 
less severe reasons than going to Africa. But even just, you know, not liking the child care program. So we have to be willing. There's nothing wrong, of course, with your children. I mean, your children are a gift from God. But we can't say, well, I'm going to put my children above whatever service God would call me to. Everything must be laid on the line. So I'd like to share with you a bit of a story. Evan Roberts was a man greatly used by God. In 1903, Evan Roberts was utterly unknown. He realized the great need of his heart for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He gave himself to unceasing prayer for the Holy Spirit to meet with him, and he claimed the promises of the baptism of the Spirit from the Scriptures, some of which we have shared with you today. He attended every meeting he could, and he testified. I said to myself, I will have the Spirit, and through all weather and in spite of all difficulties, I went to the meetings for 10 or 11 years as he prayed for revival in the church. He said, I could sit up all night to read or talk about revivals. It was the Spirit who moved me to think about revival. For a long, long time, I was much troubled in my soul and my heart by thinking over the failure of Christianity. Oh, it seemed such a... A failure. And I prayed and I prayed, but nothing seemed to give me any relief. But one night, after I'd been in great distress praying about this, I went to sleep, and at one o'clock in the morning, suddenly I was wakened out of my sleep, and I found myself with unspeakable joy and awe in the very presence of the Almighty God. And for the space of four hours, I was privileged to speak face to face with him. As a man speaks face to face with a friend, at five o'clock it seemed to me as if I again returned to the earth. We may not have the same wonderful experience that Evan Roberts had, but as often is the case with God, the deeper our cry, the greater the response will be. If you have not received the baptism of the Spirit, you can get on your knees and lift up your hands to God in prayer and cry out for Him to meet you. You may also find other faithful Christians to lay hands on you and pray for you to receive the Spirit of God. This is what happened with the Apostle Paul in Acts 9, verse 9 and 17. I want you to know today the promise is real. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. Matthew 7, verse 8. So it's important to remember that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is not just another blessing to receive. When we receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we are welcoming a person into our life. 
That person is God himself, the third member of the Trinity. And he should have an enormous influence then upon our lives from the inside out. When we invite a new person into our lives, we have to make room for him. If the individual is a holy person, we learn that our lifestyle may be offensive to him. Therefore, we become sensitive to the individual's holy standards and begin to put off our former conduct when in his presence. With this in mind, imagine what it would mean to invite the holiest person on the planet into our lives. The Father and Jesus are in heaven, but on earth there is only one person who is called holy, and he wants to dwell in your body. If godly people can influence us to live better lives, imagine what it would mean to invite the holiest person on earth into our life. When we honestly invite this holy guest to live in us, we will have to make room for him. In fact, he will want us to have a continual clean out, a total clean out of self and worldliness. His influence upon us will be more powerful than any influence from any other person we have ever known because he will be living in us. The world tries to press us to conform to its standards from outside. The Holy Spirit presses us to conform to the image of Christ from the inside. Romans eight twenty nine and 30. Now, please understand. The Holy Spirit is not optional for the Christian. It's not like you get to choose, oh, I want the Holy Spirit, or no, I don't want the Holy Spirit. If you are going to be a Christ follower, then you must receive this indwelling guest who will take over your life. Now, we don't see that today. It's very clear we don't see that in the church today. And the church is utterly failing in its mission. It's failing to influence the culture in a godly manner that turns the culture from their destructive wickedness to the righteousness of Jesus. So what would you wait for? You need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. In 1906, the Reverend, Reverend Evan Hopkins, the preacher who inspired Reese Howells to seek the Holy Spirit at the Landendraud Convention in Wales, said, Believers in Jesus should never hesitate. You can yield at once, he said. Oh, but I've always thought that if I have to be filled with the Spirit, I'll have to wait and wait and wait for the Spirit. Where is the Spirit? He came down at Pentecost to the church. Why should you wait for the Spirit? Your life is very shallow without the gift of the Holy Spirit. If you believe in Jesus, 
the only way you can have a real relationship with him is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. If you're still controlled by your flesh, if you've reserved parts of your life for yourself, parts you consider good, you will not receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But if you will totally give yourself over to the power of God, you will stop feeding the darkness of the human heart. Then suddenly the scriptures will come alive to you and you will turn aside from everything of the foolishness of this world. When you read about the disciples and how hard they had tried to follow the Lord and how they had failed. We can identify. But when the Holy Spirit came upon them, they were filled with fire and changed from within. That can happen to you. You can be changed from within by the power of the blood of Jesus. So have you received the Holy Spirit yet? There are several principles that I'd like to share with you today that you need to follow in order to receive the Holy Spirit. The first is to ask, based on the promises of Jesus in Luke 11, I've been reading, we've been reading and rereading and praying through Luke, the 11th chapter. The second is to choose to obey the Lord in accordance with Acts 5.32. Now, let me stop. I came to a place in my life where I said, all I want is Jesus. I don't want the world. I don't want the success. I don't want anything except Jesus. Now, that means that everything that draws me away from Jesus has to be put away. So I turned my television off. I actually threw it out. I turned the radio off. I no longer feasted on the music of the world. Anything that would cause Jesus to be grieved and begin to withdraw from me, I cast off because I wanted Jesus. So please understand, this is not legalism. This is saying, the love of my heart is for Jesus. And I don't want to say or do anything that would grieve him, that would cause him to turn aside from me. I want Jesus. Yes, and so what Acts 5.32 says is that the Lord gives the Holy Spirit to those who obey him. And that's what Pastor Ray is describing. So our own personal holiness is not, that's not the pinnacle of the Christian life. As Pastor Ray said, the, the purpose of God is to actually come and live in your body and live in your life as if he were still living in Jesus' body on the earth. Now, that is radically far above most of what is taught in the Christian church today. 
Most of what's taught in the Christian church today doesn't even convert anybody. It leaves Christians struggling with horrific addictions and sins. But what Jesus is calling us to is first to give up our sin, to love him with our whole heart, to obey him, but primarily to give our bodies and lives to him for him to actually live in us. We're talking about God living on the earth in your body. That is the Christian faith. And if you attempt to have a part of your life remain for you, the addictions of your heart will not be broken. And you will be unsuccessful in overcoming the wickedness of your heart because you are unwilling to totally give up your life to follow Jesus. So the second step is to begin walking in absolute obedience to Jesus. That is not religion. It is Jesus, the person the sacrificed, atoning blood of Jesus that comes and washes and cleanses and everything that turns our heart away from Jesus, we leave it alone. Now, the third is to seek the Lord until he comes upon you. The disciples had to wait 10 days for God to send his spirit. But now the Spirit's been sent. God may be waiting for you. If you will come to him and you will pray and you will wait upon him and you will turn aside from everything that turns your attention from Jesus, he will come to you. The fourth step is to believe his promises. Galatians 3.14 Finally, if the Holy Spirit does not come to meet you on your own, then you must seek out a Spirit-filled believer and ask for them to pray for you to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, as Paul had to do in Acts 9.17. So I have questions for you. Have you been baptized in the fullness of power for the Holy Spirit? I don't mean parlor games where somebody prayed over you and you fell down and they put a modesty cloth on you and you soaked in the presence of God. I don't mean this kind of foolish religion. I'm asking, have you been baptized in the power of the Holy Spirit so that you now speak to lost sinners and they turn to Jesus and are saved? Do you heal the sick? Do you have the power of God in your life? If not, don't tell me that you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit. You have not been. And one thing that strikes out to me as we read testimonies of men and women who have been baptized in the Holy Spirit is they'll say, I'm still saying the same things I was saying before. I'm preaching the same sermons. I'm giving the same exhortations. But now there's power and hundreds are being converted. And so we have to give up this idea of, well, if I just say it the right way, 
then the person will be convinced. What's needed is the power of God. It means you have to open your life and give it over totally and completely to the Holy Spirit and ask the Father to fulfill his promise to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Now, if you don't have enough faith to seek God on your own, find other believers who will pray with you and cry out for one another that you would receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. This is not optional. This is the command of Scripture that you receive the anointing and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You are powerless to do the work of the gospel without this power. We need the power of God to move with with force if this culture is going to be changed. And so let's update them on what's happening with us. Anything you want to share? We're praying for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We're doing exactly what we're telling you to do. And it's kind of frightening, you know, you really start to think about, you know, I'm still fairly young. I have I have potentially, you know, 50 to 70 more years of life remaining. And it's kind of frightening to think about, I have, I'm, I'm giving up, I mean, I did this when I was converted. I mean, I said, I God, I'm giving you the rest of my life. But now I have this understanding of what that means is he actually wants to come live in my body and live his life through me. And that in and of itself, on the one hand, it's kind of frightening. But on the other hand, you know, if you're a Christian and you have experienced the Holy Spirit, then you know that he is so tender and loving that that takes the fear out of it. But... It does mean, you know, I could be sent anywhere in the world. I I could be doing, I'm going to, I never thought I'd be on radio, that's for sure. But I could be doing things that I've never even imagined doing because it's what God wants to do through me. So it does really mean you have to give up every single plan that you have for your life. You know, whether you'll go to school, whether where you're going to work. You have to give it all to Jesus without any conditions or reserves. Now, we've had some interesting responses. Some of you have responded with such kindness and generosity in saying, keep praying for the Holy Spirit. We need revival. Others of you have fled away. And some of those that we know, friends, have not been interested in coming and praying for the Holy Spirit. They say, well, I can do that at home by myself. I don't need to come and pray with others. Interesting. This this coming and just deliberately laying down our life before Jesus and saying, we no longer have any agenda. We're not trying to build church We're not trying to evangelize the lost. We are simply coming now for the baptism of the Holy Spirit so that we can go out with power to the lost. We recognize on this radio broadcast 
we're praying that revival breaks out on this radio broadcast as we're giving the word of God to you. We'll know that that's happened by the intensity of phone calls and by the mailbox being full of letters of testimony of what God has done in you. We want the Holy Spirit. We can't live any longer without him. The Holy Spirit, according to Scripture, is not an optional gift. We need the Holy Spirit to be able to do the work he's called us to do. Yes. So we're praying for the Holy Spirit. And I just want to say, if this is the first time you've heard this, don't beat yourself up. God doesn't condemn us for our ignorance. But now that you've heard this, you now have a responsibility before God to act on it and to seek this gift for yourself. And I'm eager to hear from you, those of you who do receive this baptism. I want to know what your life is like. I want to hear about the people you're healing in the grocery store or about how your whole gym turns into a Christian gym because revival breaks out. We're looking for the Holy Spirit. We're expecting the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We don't have another agenda. We don't have another plan. We don't have a backup plan. So we're being very public and very open. And we're praying for the Holy Spirit, for us and for you. We're praying that God will come in great power. I don't want to talk anymore about revival. I want revival now. As we've worked with a church to bring revival in that place, they were very offended as we began to identify the sin of their lives. And they finally responded by saying, we don't want you here anymore. Leave. Because they did not want to deal with the wickedness of their hearts. They thought they were fine. And so they have no revival. I have to tell you, we're not anybody special. Our hearts are just totally set now on revival. Let's pray. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.